bulletin sheet. Okay, so chapter 10, and we're starting at verse 1. Jesus sends out the 72. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet, we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. Thanks be to God for his word. Okay, so I'm going to just speak to you a little bit about this passage today. I'm actually going to put my Bible down, not because I've memorised the entire contents, but because I've not got room on my little podium to manage it all. So, um, And we're going to be thinking today about this challenge uh, that Jesus gives us when he sends out the 72. I'm particularly thinking, what do the words that Jesus has shared there, that Jesus has declared over this group of followers, what do they actually mean for us now in West Bridgeford in 2017? Does Jesus mean for us to quite literally go out from this building now, not go home, leave everything we belong here, knock on the nearest door we find, see whether or not they're receptive to the gospel, and if not, say, we wash our hands of you, you know, may you rot or whatever it is you want to say and walk off to the next one. I'm actually not going to suggest that we do that. You'll be pleased to know. But I do think there's some really important principles in this passage that help us understand what it is that we need to do when we're thinking about mission. So first of all, it's really good when we um, read any passage from the Bible, as I'm sure has been said many times, to understand the context of that passage and to understand where that fits in the rest of the narrative. Sometimes we can get the feeling that when we come to passages, particularly when we're reading quite familiar passages, that the, the books of the Bible, the Gospels maybe in particular, were sort of thrown together a bit. It was just as it happened, um, and there were just a collection of things, and as they were writing it down, they put it all in one place. In actual fact, um, they would have been gathered in a, in a really deliberate way. There is a, a narrative that the, the writer wants us to follow, and wants us to grasp as we're reading through. So if we were to go back to chapter 9, you'll see that Jesus sends out the 12 disciples. And he uses almost the same language for the 12 disciples when he sends them out as he does for the 72 in the passage that we've just read. And really, when Jesus repeats himself... It's quite a good idea if we take note and if we try and listen to what Jesus is saying. Because the writer, it it probably means he did repeat himself on that point, but the writer is trying to say, this is really important that you get this. 
And sandwiched in between those two passages, there is a number of passages, but one of the ones that I think is quite key is there's the feeding of the 5,000. Really familiar story about lots of hungry people who Jesus, through a miracle, feeds with um, the loaves and the fishes. And really what what the, the, the writer is trying to do is to say a couple of things to us. One is, he's trying to say that the same... A message of mission and the same kind of directive that applied to the 12 also applies to, to the many. That actually it's not mission, being involved in mission is not the preserve of the few. It's not the gift of those who are in, if you like, full-time paid Christian leadership. It's actually the job of the many. And when we look at the feeding of the 5,000, part of what that's telling us is that there are vast numbers of people that need Jesus, that need to meet Jesus. And often in scripture, physical, physical hunger and spiritual hunger are kind of used to represent um, each other. So often physical hunger will also be a metaphor for sort of um, spiritual hunger. So it's important that we understand that this isn't something that we can kind of avoid, if you like, and say, oh, well, that was for them. It's not for us. It's, it's actually absolutely relevant for us too. Some people are called to full-time church work. All of us, I'm afraid, accord to mission so we've got to kind of get into that uncomfortable space that we sometimes find ourselves in and recognize that we're all called to it what does it look like for us in our workplace and I think there are four things so you can count as I go in case I forget one Um, I think there are four things that this passage particularly teaches us about mission um, and about us within that and our calling to be involved in missions. The first one is this. I think the passage should give us hope. Jesus' words should give us hope. In verse 2 it says, the harvest is plentiful. And part of the significance of the feeding of the 5,000, as I said, is this kind of sense of the vast numbers. There is a need. And notice it doesn't say... um, the field is large, we need to get out and do the planting, that you know, we don't know whether there's going to be a good harvest. What it says is the harvest is plentiful, but what we're short of are the workers who are going to go and reap that harvest. I don't know, how do you feel that you are going to be received when you try and share your faith with someone who maybe isn't a Christian? Just for a moment, have a little think. What's your general sort of expectation? Maybe just to the person next to you, if you're close enough to have a brief two-second conversation. What, what, What words come to mind when you think of someone you know that maybe isn't a Christian, doesn't believe in God? What what reception would you expect to get? Just I'll let you do that when I get my water. Okay, it really was just two seconds. Any thoughts? Somebody shout a word out. Alison, what did you say? Okay, polite but not We're very British, aren't we? Thank you very much, but go away, you weirdo. Yes. Anybody else? Similar? Okay, sometimes we face real hostility, or we think we might face real hostility, don't we? I think one of the things that um, this passage is trying to tell us 
is that actually there is a hunger for spiritual things. And I, I know most of you know me and you know what I do for a job, but for those of you who don't, I just wanted to sort of give you my credentials, really, to share this sermon, because I am a vicar's wife, but for most of my 25, whatever it is now, years in, in professional work, I've worked in the secular world. I don't, I'm not a full-time vicar's wife. I do this in my spare time. Um, LAUGHTER when I'm not drinking wine and watching telly. But, um, so, yeah, basically, the, the, in the secular workplace, and I've, I work in a social work um, background, that's my professional, um, uh, what I do for a living, and actually, um, social workers are notoriously left-wing, uh, they're anti-establishment, the church is very much seen as part of the establishment. Um, it's not an easy place to share that you're a Christian, okay? And I used to marvel at the fact that my colleagues could come in and they would say something like, oh, what did you do last night? And someone would say, oh, and I don't want to offend anybody with this, but bear with me. They would say, oh, I went for my kinesiology session. And we'd all go, oh, what's that? And they'd say, well, I lie on a table and a woman um, shakes uh, crystals over my head and this uh, helps my migraines. And everyone would go, oh, gosh, that sounds interesting. I get migraines. I might try that. And then they'd say, what did you do? And I said, oh, well, we have home groups in our church and I, um, we went to Bible study and there'd be this kind of sharp intake of breath. <laughs> like I was the weirdo. <laughs> You know, and you think, how is it that I can be going to study the best-selling book in the world, flat out, to just see whether or not the words in this book could have some relevance for today? But I'm the weirdo. You're going to do something which involves shaking crystals over your head, and that's okay. It tells us lots of things about culture and about people, but it also tells us that there is a hunger for spiritual things. You will, I think we get a message from popular culture that um, everybody is becoming more and more secular. And actually, that, that might be true for some. I think there's also a hunger for spiritual things. And that's what the Bible is telling us. It's saying, if, the trouble is, if we don't have the confidence to even start that conversation, then we will never know, will we? But I do understand the kind of challenge that it presents. The second thing... I think, and I think this is the biggest thing for me in this passage, is that it's in, Jesus' challenge is that mission will make us feel vulnerable. What he challenges this group to do is to go out with... And we sometimes approach mission like that. We sometimes think what we need to do is to build up all of this stuff around us. We need to do the best events we can ever do so we don't do anything embarrassing that might involve us having to talk about Jesus. Let's just do a really, really, really good wine tasting event. I love wine tasting events and I think we should do more of them. But it shouldn't stop us actually talking about the point of what what this is all about. And sometimes we kind of build that armour up around us. And I, I, some, I think possibly there are two reasons that I'd like to mention today for why we might do that. One is I think we feel inadequate. I think lots of people feel inadequate about their knowledge of the Bible and their ability to share the gospel. Now, I, people are nodding, but I know this is true because I've spoken to people who've come to church all their life and they feel that they don't know the Bible well enough. 
Now, the, one of the, the, the person mainly who doesn't want us to do this and to share this is, is the enemy, is, is Satan. We don't talk about him much in church because it's not very British and we're a bit embarrassed about it. But if we do believe that there is, um, that in the Bible, the Bible says we are not in a battle against flesh and blood. We are in a battle against principalities and powers. And the Bible describes Satan as the father of lies. Now, if he can whisper in your ear that you are just thoroughly inadequate then he has done his job very, very well because you will never, ever take any risks. It is not about the extent of our Bible knowledge. Think about the people who are being commissioned in this passage. The the 12 disciples were fishermen. They were probably uneducated. And they had just spent time with who? With Jesus. They'd lived their lives with Jesus. These 72... We don't know anything about their backgrounds, but they certainly hadn't been to Bible college for for several years, and they didn't have a PhD in um, whatever it is you do PhDs in in Bible college. They were ordinary people who had encountered Christ and were going to go and tell people about him. The best thing that you have got in your armory against the powers of darkness, against fear, against all the things that stop us doing this stuff is your story, the story that you have about your relationship with Jesus. That is the story he wants you to tell. Now, I don't want to discourage us from getting Bible knowledge. The more we read the Bible, the more we immerse ourselves in God's word, the more we understand what it means for today, the more confidence we have, the more that those words can come to our mind as we're sharing. But we shouldn't be held back because if you feel inadequate about that, there is no amount of Bible study you can do that will change that. It's about saying to God, use me as I am now and I will, I will take that step of courage. So I think one of the challenges is a feeling of um, being inadequate because of our knowledge of the Bible I think, um, I've, I've got a little, sound, I hate sound bites in sermons, okay? Some people use them a lot. I hope Lee doesn't use them very often. I'm not in the service very often. I don't know what my husband's preaching is like, other than I'm sure it's amazing. Um, but I did like, quite like this one, so I am going to share this one with you. It says, you're not a missionary because you crossed the sea. You're a missionary because you've seen the cross. I know it's cheesy, I know. But I quite like it. The point is this. It's about meeting Jesus and telling people about what that has meant to you. I think the other way in which we feel, um, we feel vulnerable, if you like, when we go out and share the gospel, is because we feel that we're not good enough. We feel that our life does not match up to the life. We can't be a witness for Christ. This passage is encouraging us to be ambassadors for Jesus. I work for UNICEF and we have high profile ambassadors, people like David Beckham, Tom Hiddleston, people like that, who um, will go out and talk about our work and our message. You can't be an ambassador for UNICEF until you've been what we call a high profile supporter for two years. And we do lots of screening on you to check. And if you cross over a line on certain issues, you will stop being an ambassador for UNICEF. Because our brand and our message is important to us. We love the fact they give their time for free, but it it doesn't come without some kind of regulations. What I want to say to you is that actually 
Jesus doesn't say, get to this standard. You have to be like this before you can be an ambassador for me. What he says is, I'm going to call you right now as you are in the situation you're in. One of the things I would suggest our culture is crying out for is authenticity. You heard the term fake news. Um, There is a sense in which people don't trust. Charities are worried at the moment because for the first time ever, uh, there's an index of seeing who people have got confidence in. And for the first time ever, charities have, have dropped off the top spot. People don't believe in anybody anymore. They don't trust anybody. We don't trust politicians, bankers, charities, the church. It doesn't matter. What we need to do now is to say to people... I have a a story to tell, and it's an authentic story. I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not. It might be that you've struggled with mental health issues, and you feel, how can I witness to faith in Jesus if actually people around me know that I've struggled? Well, that's authentic, because what you're saying is, I've struggled with mental health, but you know, Jesus is in this fight with me, and I keep going back to him. And even though my life is not 100% perfect, I'm going to do this with Jesus. I'm not going to do it without him. Maybe we struggle with sin. Maybe we feel that people just know us too well. These are the things that we need to come back to Jesus with. Um, Almost without fail, when people, in my previous place of work, almost without fail, when people found out I was a vicar's wife, they would react like this. Really? (laughs) Without fail. Now, I partly took it as a compliment, because I think, uh, you know, if I was, I I don't want to be rude about vicar's wives, but if I was a stereotypical vicar's wife, I might not take that. But I also worried about what that said about me. And I know I let God down repeatedly in conversations I was with, things I said about my boss that are unbecoming of of a vicar's wife and a Christian, things that, you know, I should not have been part of. Some of you will be trying to witness to your family, and you will think, you might have had major family bust-ups. God has placed you in the place you're in, the person you are, with what you've got to bring, with your story, to lead those people and to influence those people. And I think we have to um, take some courage and to be bold, but to understand that feeling vulnerable is part of the DNA of sharing our faith and part of the DNA of mission. And it's about resting in Jesus. It's about dependency on him, getting our strength from him. The Bible is full of stories who failed, uh, sorry, full of stories of people who failed, but who God used in mighty, mighty ways. The greatest king of Israel, David, committed adultery and then had the husband of the woman he committed adultery with murdered. Can't do much worse than that. And God still used him. We might need to repent. We might need to say sorry. We might need to um, write someone a letter or to say, or we might need to just say, do you know what, from now on, I'm going to try and do this in God's strength. But don't let those things um, inhibit us. Last two things are a bit shorter, so don't worry, bear with me. But the third thing is that Jesus reminds us that the message is simple, but integral. Sometimes, as I said earlier, we can talk about all the things around Jesus, but we don't actually talk about Jesus himself. The Bible is very clear that the stumbling block is Jesus. 
that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, I'm not suggesting that in every conversation we have to get Jesus in. It's a bit like when you ask a question in junior church, and whatever it is, the right answer is Jesus. You know, we don't have to. Hello, who are you? Oh, I'm Sally. What does your husband... Oh, my husband's a vicar. Actually, could I just tell you that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life? You don't, you don't have to start like that. But what we also have to do is be careful not to avoid ever actually talking about Christ. Because what we can sometimes do is present church just as a nice social club. Come along if you want to. The social bit's great, and we do that well here. But that's not what's going to win souls for, for Christ. It's about a relationship with Jesus. And so sometimes we can avoid that. We have to remember we are um, introducing people to a, rela- a person. It's about a relationship with a person. We're not inviting them to join our religion. And, and that's the difference. That's the difference in terms of how we share um, what, what we're actually, uh, what we want people to know. And there's a sense of urgency in this passage. The sense of urgency is the kingdom of God is near. It's close at hand. So let's not waste time. Let's make sure that we're telling people and let's be bold. John McGinley tells a story in his book of where they went out to 1,500, uh, sorry, 1,500 houses in their local community, just in Leicester, down the road. And they asked people, um, would you like prayer? I wonder how many people, how many households do you think out of that 1,500 said, uh, yes, please, we'd like prayer? Not, not necessarily on the doorstep, they wanted prayer there and then, but yes, we'll, that'd be great if you could pray. How many do you think? Just, how many? A good deal. Good deal. 500. A third of them. Now, I think that's staggering. Now, some of them might have been being polite. Just say yes to the prayer so we can get them off the doorstep. But some of them will not have just been being polite. We're, we're not very bold because we're, we're fearful. Actually, there is a harvest and a hunger. And just very, very quickly and lastly, the passage helps us to have permission. It, Jesus gives us permission not to bang our heads against a brick wall. That bit at the end where it says, if you go into a place and they do not want to know, you walk away. There will be people in your lives who are very clearly saying to you, I don't want you to talk to me about God. Some of you will have children who are saying, don't you preach to me about that God. Or maybe a husband or or a partner or a wife, whatever. What this passage is doing is it's actually giving us permission to recognize that, to be discerning about that, and to step back from that. doesn't mean we stop praying. doesn't mean we stop inviting them to things. But it, doesn't mean that we, it does mean that we can stop feeling that guilt that we're just not getting anywhere. The Bible is very clear. Some people will be all-seeing and never understanding. Some people will be um, just not ready yet to hear the words of God but that doesn't mean that we just give up um, it, it, and it's, it, it can be counterproductive for us to carry on kind of flogging a dead horse so I think that the, the things that the passage is reminding us just to kind of remind us are that there's a hope there's a harvest out there that we will feel vulnerable, God is with us, but that vulnerability is part of the kind of tool that we've got that makes us accessible. That Jesus reminds us that the message is simple, it's about him, he is the key, and that we don't have to feel um, kind of guilt, really, when we get to the point where people 
really um, can't kind of do any more. They can't hear any more from us. So what we want to do in the rest of the time that we've got together is we're going to spend some time worshipping God. I'm going to ask uh, the band if they would come back up for us, please. And <clears throat> we're going to have a slightly longer time of worship. So what, we, what we're going to do is in a moment, um, not, not just yet, I'll tell everyone to stand. And I'd like you to feel really free to, at any point, sit if you want to kneel even. I know, again, it's not something we do very much, but if you want to do that, please do. Um, don't feel you have to sort of stay standing to the end. It's not a competition. It's about you having some time with God. And what we want to do is to have an expectancy that God will speak to us and that God um, wants to minister to us today. And so we really want to create this kind of extended space where, where that can happen, where we can still our hearts. Um, there is a, a sense in which I think um, I would like to just pose four sort of questions for you to think about during this time of worship. One is, is there somewhere in your life that God wants to give you some courage around sharing your faith? Is there somewhere that God wants to release you from past failure? Are you sitting here thinking, I have so got this wrong with somebody. I have so let God down in this situation. Is it that God wants to say to you, do you know what, I need you just to to stop going on about that. I need to release you from that. We need to move on from this point now. Is there someone that God actually wants to challenge you to put something right? Is there a conversation where you need to say to someone, look, I, I think I've got something wrong here, and, and you know, I just want to say sorry? And is there someone that God maybe wants you to step back from, that you feel like you have been banging your head against a brick wall, and is it about you giving that person to God and saying, I can't make them believe in you, because you can't. I'm going to give them to you. And so what we're going to do is Hannah's going to lead us in a time of worship. And um, we've got a few people that are available for prayer. If at any point you would like to have prayer, you don't have to go and talk to necessarily one of those people. Someone next to you will pray for you, pray with you. Um, But they are available if you would like to have some specific prayer. Please don't go out from this building today without having some prayer if that's something that would be useful. And the other thing is just to say, let's be expectant that God might speak to us. So people have been praying about this service already. It might be that God gives you an encouragement or a word from from the Bible, a verse, to give to somebody else. Please act upon that. If, if you feel that that's something God has given you. And if you feel there's anything God wants to say to all of us, then come and grab me at the front. I'll be sat down here, and we can decide whether or not we share that now or whether we sit on that and wait and share that at another time. So let's be expectant that God's going to be here. Um, our prayer team have already been praying, and someone's felt very strongly, actually, that God um, wants to minister to people where there's maybe problems within uh, marriage relationships, Um, and where people are struggling in that area. So, um, you know, if you want some prayer about that, then please do uh, come forward. We won't assume if you do come forward for prayer that that's an issue, so don't worry about that. Um, But let's just be still and be with God. Okay, so I'm going to ask that we stand together to start with, and I'm going to hand over to (coughs) Hannah to lead us.
wants us to hear and that might mean something for, for people here. Um, and really the essence of this is about God's uh, triumph over sin in our lives. The verses are from Romans. It says, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin. Yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And it's just about us being reminded that God's spirit is more powerful within us than anything else. And it might be that there's something specific that you would like to have some prayer for about that. Um, What we're going to do now is uh, I'm going to ask Gregory, who I can't see. There he is. Gregory's just going to jump up for me. Um, Ellen, I can see loitering at the back. The kids are welcome anytime, Ellen. So, yeah, no problem. Uh, just to say, Gregory, if you grab the microphone and stick the end in, that would be lovely. Um, what we're going to do is uh, sort of start to bring our service to a close, but the band are going to keep playing a few songs after the service. So any of the ones we haven't managed to do yet, chaps, if we just keep going. And although we'll be chatting, um, we'll kind of keep a bit of an attitude of prayer about the service as well. The kids will come in, so it will be an attitude of prayer with children making noise, but that's okay. Um, and our, our prayer team are still available if anyone would like a specific prayer for a particular issue. Is that one on, my dear, or is it? Lovely, look at that. So right up to your head if you can. So um, I've not made a note of the questions you were asked, yet, uh, Gregory, which is really helpful. But Gregory did Alpha last time we did Alpha here. And um, he is very kindly offered to just share a few of his thoughts about that because we're running an, uh, an Alpha course coming up soon. It's all the information is in the bulletin. Um, so Gregory, just tell us a little bit about your experience of Alpha. Uh, thank you, Sally. So it was really, um, it was really an amazing experience. Um, so glad I did it. I have to thank Lee for suggesting I should sign up, and um, and um, it's it's really been a, a, a sort of life-changing experience. It's been very transformative. Uh, the fact that it lasts over you know a number of weeks uh, means that you have time to get to know um, the people that are doing Alpha with you, especially the people in your group. And I'm ever so thankful to um, Katie and to Sue Ferraro, and. Um, and uh, everyone else that was in my group, most of them are not here today. I was planning to actually name them in public. Um, but we've, um, I feel like we've formed really very strong bonds, and um, they're really good friends. And um, the, So the format, it's on the cards that um, Tim uh, gave us. Um, you're going first um, to have, share a meal, which is really great. Um, so lots of excellent home-made cakes, it's, it's great. And, um, and then afterwards you watch a video um, for about 30 minutes and the videos are absolutely brilliant. I mean, I found myself actually watching a few of them several times because they're really, they're really great. Um, and, and then you, you, you meet in a small group and, um, and it's, it's a very safe space to um, ask some of the really big questions and reflect on what you've just seen and, and talk about it very freely and very openly and, um, and then you realize, I realize that, you know, I, I had these questions and a lot of people had, had very similar questions. And, um, 
and, um, and it was okay. And so it's really, you know, it's helped me really um, um, in, in so many ways, really. Lovely. That's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Gregory. You can feel free to take a seat. So if you're one of those people who's not too sure what you think about Christianity, Alpha's the place to come to. If you're not sure where you're at, or even if you feel like you've been around the block for a while and you'd like to go back and think through some of the kind of core issues around faith, please do. We often have people on Alpha in St. Giles who've been at St. Giles for years, and there's absolutely no shame in that. It's fine. It's a good thing to go back and get a sense of what you really believe. Um, And there are many people here um, who would be able to testify to the impact it's had, so please do do that. I'm just going to very quickly ask Claire to run up for us. Um, and share a brief notice also around kind of sharing our faith so all very topical today with our notices thank you sally Uh, this fits in very well really Um, a verse from uh, a charles wesley hymn says oh that the world might taste and see the riches of his grace the arms of love that compass me would all mankind embrace this last week Many of mankind have arrived in Nottingham from virtually every country in the world, international students and international scholars. Friends International is a mission partner of St. Giles, and I'd like you to consider the hospitality program. Talk to me about it afterwards. All it involves is you're put in contact with a couple of international students. You make them welcome. You don't have to explain the gospel to them in your first meeting You have contact with them perhaps a couple of times a term, invite them to your home for a meal, and particularly if you've got children or if you're a single person, it's just a brilliant way of um, reaching the world, really. Many international students come thinking this is a Christian country. They meet the student culture and the drinking, and they wonder what all that's about, Many are disillusioned with the philosophy, the atheism, the Islam of their own country, and they are searching. So they're wide open, and many will go back and reach their um, country folk. You can reach the world in Nottingham by a simple hospitality. So I've got leaflets to let you know about that. Thanks, Sally. Lovely. No, don't worry. All done. Lovely. I'm not going to argue with Claire Barker anyway. (laughs) Okay, so shall we stand together? We're going to sing our closing hymn together, our closing song, which is Build Your Kingdom Here. And as I say, please don't leave today if anything that we've said or sung or shared has resonated for you. Please get some prayer and share it with maybe the person next to you or um, somebody over in the Lady Chapel will happily, happily pray for you. Okay, so uh, over to Hannah.